Christian greetings to all of you this morning. And to those of you who are visiting with us, welcome. It's good to have you with us. May God bless your, uh, your visit here. May you find it inspiring. These are, are days that can really test us in a number of ways. Uh, this whole COVID pandemic uh, just brings a number of challenges to life, not just, not just physically speaking, <laughs> um, but, but it affects our spirits. It affects even our, our spiritual life. It has a way of, of just weighing us down, making us weary, making us discouraged. And so this message this morning is intended to, to encourage us to keep persevering, to keep persevering. You know, one of the marks of the last days is a lack of endurance, it's a lack of perseverance. It's a, a giving up. It's a, a spirit of quitting. Quit running the race. Exhaustion, perhaps. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, we read this. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly or clearly says that in the latter times... Some shall depart from the faith. Speaks of a lack of endurance, a lack of persevering, quitting the race. But in verse 16, the Apostle Paul, in, in writing to Timothy, says this, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them. Or another rendering of that would be, Keep persevering in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and those that hear thee. So the Apostle Paul makes it clear that in the latter days, there are those who will fall away. There are those who will, who will quit the race. But then he says, persevere in what you have been taught. Persevere in what you know is right. Keep doing it. Because it is through that. That you will be saved. And also he brings out the importance of our influence on others. Not only saving yourself. But how your example impacts those around you. Saving yourself and others. Those who hear you. We could say those who observe your life. You know, even Jesus said, as he was referring to the end times, he says, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall grow cold. Now, embedded in the meaning of the word persevere is Difficulties. Hard times and difficulties and spiritual battles are a given. They're going to happen. And in fact, we can expect them 
more and more in these days that we live. You might as well get used to it. Because they're a part of life. Because in fact, the word persevere means to persist in spite of difficulties. To persist in spite of difficulties. And, and so Jesus said, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall grow cold. But he that endures unto the end shall be saved. That's perseverance. That's endurance. That's a spirit of keeping on in spite of difficulties. And so that's the encouragement to us today. I invite you, though, to turn to Hebrews chapter 10 for a text. I find the book of Hebrews to be so very uh, empowering to me in my personal life. There is so much uh, richness there. There is so much blessing. Uh, the word pictures that we find different times in the book of Hebrews uh, that contrast the Old Testament and the New Testament are so beautiful. Thinking about what was, and now because of Jesus Christ, what is... It makes me just once again be so thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ and what that means to me, what that means to you today. We are certainly living in the day of grace, and we should praise the Lord for that. Much to be thankful for, as was mentioned earlier. But here in Hebrews chapter 10, I would like to begin with verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus... By a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Now move down to verse 32. But call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions, partly whilst ye were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion of me in my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance." Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward, for ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. Now just note there, that word patience speaks of perseverance. So the writer is saying, you need to persevere. You need to persevere. Verse 37, for yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, 
my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. What a way to end that passage. A note of resolution. Although there are some that fall away, with the help of God, we are not those. But we are those who believe to the saving of the soul. And certainly, that is not something that we can carry out without the help of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because without God at work in our lives, without Him giving us the strength, that statement would simply be very shallow. And we would be, uh, it would be un unable for us to, to carry that out and attain that. I've titled this message, Let Us Persevere. Let Us Persevere. You know, the Christian life is a life of purpose. It's a life of determination. It's a life that calls us to constantly press onward, to press forward. In fact, Jesus said in Luke 9.23, we read, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus said, true discipleship involves taking up your cross daily. The cross speaks of difficulties. It speaks of hardships. It speaks of commitment. And Jesus said, it is absolutely essential that you are willing to do that daily if you are to be my disciple. You know, perseverance doesn't just happen, but it is a result of daily deciding to walk with Jesus. Each and every day, I have decided to walk with Jesus. I'm not going to turn back. That is my pursuit in life today. And as we, as we consider that, as we try to make that a conscious part of each day, it helps us to fight the battles. It helps us to put life in a proper perspective. When we can try, with the help of God, to live life with a God consciousness. I have decided to walk with Jesus today. and I'm not turning back. I'm going to take up my cross even though it's not easy, I'm going to do that. And so in this passage of Hebrews chapter 10, I would like for us to note five keys to persevering. And each one of them begins with, let us. It, it's a note of resolve. You know, when, when some people are going this way, with the help of God, I want to go this way. I resolve. To do this. Let us. You know, perseverance certainly calls for a life of resolve. And so, each of these keys to persevere, each of them rings with a note of resolve. And, and so we could say, you know, because of the importance of my spiritual life, and because of the reality of eternity. These are things that I will do. These are things that as a body of believers, we will do. And the first is in verse 22. Let us 
draw near to God. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near to God. Now, it's important to note that in the book of Hebrews, we find something very exciting. And that is, once I, I mentioned this earlier, but that is that things have changed. Things have changed from the Old Testament way of church, you could say, of relationship with God, to, as this passage says, a new and living way, okay? There's something different. And it is made possible through the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, in the Old Testament, we have where there was atonement for sin. Atonement means there was a covering for sin. When I sinned, then I would confess that. I would, uh, you know, do a burnt offering. I would sacrifice. And through the work of the priest, taking to God, I could be covered. Atonement. We come into the New Testament where we have a new concept. And it's not simply a covering for sin, but it is sin being taken away. In fact, uh, that story where John the Baptist sees Jesus walking down the road and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, ushering in a new dispensation where the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. It takes it away. We are spotless through the blood of Jesus Christ that is washing over us. And so, in the book of Hebrews, we find that time and time again, reminding us of this wonderful provision through the sacrifice of Jesus, something that was not possible in that way before. You see, prior to Jesus, the relationship was behind a curtain, you could say. Behind this big curtain that separated the holiness, the presence of God from common man. You remember when Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. The scripture says that the veil in the temple that big, huge, thick, heavy veil was torn from top to bottom, signifying now common man has access directly into the presence of God. There's an intimate relationship that is now available to all of us. It is finished. And it's as if God reached down and tore that, that huge curtain from top to bottom, something that man couldn't do. And God was now inviting us in a new and intimate way into relationship with him through the blood of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 7, 19 says, For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. By the which we draw nigh unto God. And so... If we are to persevere 
in our Christian life, it is vital that we maintain a close and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Practicing, you could say, the presence of God in our lives. Developing a, a consciousness of God in our lives. Maintaining that. The Apostle Paul, I'm sorry, the Apostle James, makes it clear that in order to have the nearness of God felt in your life, you have to make the first move. What do we read in James 4, verse 8? Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. You know, there's people who I've talked to in the past that, that say, you know, I'm just, I just don't feel very close to God. I just don't feel very close to God. And, and I'm struggling with different temptations. And I'm, I, it just feels like I'm living in defeat. I, I can't seem to master this. I can't seem to get over this. I'm struggling with this. And I've asked them, what is your personal devotions like? What is your personal relationship like with Jesus Christ? And typically they say, yeah, it's, it's not like it should be. I'm not taking time for God like I should. You see, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Dear people, the Christian life takes work. It takes perseverance. But I know from experience, and I believe you do too, that God richly blesses when you have put yourself into that. When you have done your work. When you have, with the help of God, sought after him. And made that a priority in your life. God honors that. God blesses that. God brings then a richness to your spiritual life that you did not have before. But James doesn't stop there. He says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. But then he says, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. And I find that fascinating because we see the same, the same thing here in verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What I'm saying here is that it is impossible to experience a close and vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ when there is known sin in your life. It's impossible. In different times in Scripture, we see the direct connection between holiness of life and closeness to Christ. Holiness of life and closeness to Christ, they go hand in hand. And so once again, I, I go back to the scenario where, where I have found myself in the past wondering, you know, why does my life seem so shallow? Why does my relationship with God seem lacking? Why is not God uh, doing what he promised to do? And if I have to be really honest with myself, as I ponder my spiritual condition, I realize that it's me. <laughs> it's me that's lacking, not God. God is ready to do all that he said he would do. But I have things to fix in my life. 
Maybe I have confessions to make. Maybe I need to work on my spiritual disciplines. Maybe I'm not taking time for God. In Psalm 24, we have a similar thrust. That thrust of holiness of life and closeness to Christ. But in Psalm 24, in verse 3, we read, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? Okay, speaking about living in God's presence, experiencing the reality of God's presence, the power that that brings in your personal life. How do you attain that? How do you experience that? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Once again, clean hands, a pure heart. Integral to experiencing intimacy with Jesus Christ. And so, an encouragement to you and to myself. Let us draw near to God. And as we resolve to do this, we will find the strength to keep keeping on. It gives us strength for our journey. Secondly, in verse 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith. And so, let us hold fast our faith. Another resolve, another key to persevering in life. Let us hold fast our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Did you know that holding fast to your faith is essential to life? If at any point you decide that you're done with your faith, then in all reality you're saying, I'm done with life. Oh, you wouldn't say that though, would you? No. But when you say, I'm done with my faith, truly you are done with life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Dear people, Jesus Christ is the life. Without him, you experience death. And so, holding fast to your faith is essential to life. Now, I understand that we have various ones here this morning who have jumped out of airplanes. How many? One, two, three, four, five. Bunch of crazy people. Okay, so some of you have jumped out of airplanes. Now, I think you would understand, and the rest of us would too, that holding fast to that instructor was essential to life in that case. I mean, if at any point you would have decided, phooey with that guy, and and somehow been able to, you know, unattach yourself from him, That would have resulted in death. Sure would have. And we can understand that when it comes to skydiving. But why is it so hard for us as humans to to grasp the reality of that 
when it comes to our spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ. Immediately we think, at least we're prone to think that, well, I wouldn't die in that kind of a way. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's not really death, it's just, I mean, yeah. we try to rationalize that somehow it could be different. Dear people, it's not different. In fact, the reality of, of a spiritual death is even greater than the reality of a physical death because a spiritual death is eternal. The decisions that you make here and now today <laughs> don't just affect today, but they affect eternity. And so I ask you, how precious is your faith to you? Is it something that you would be willing to give your life for? I've read some stories in the Martyr's Mirror. I haven't read a lot, but I've read some stories in the Martyr's Mirror. I've also read some, some stories of more modern day uh, persecution. And it just, it just absolutely, um, yeah, it, it just grips me what those Christians were willing to do in order to keep their faith. What they went through, what they endured, the unthinkable persecution, the unthinkable pain they went through so that they would not renounce their faith. They would not give up their faith. And some of them went to their death singing, They gladly died for their faith in Jesus Christ. And then I think about my own little, wee little problems in life. The little, the little discouragements that I face in life. And I feel so stupid, so guilty. And I say, how could they do this? How could they? And it's because their faith was in the faithfulness of God. In verse 23 it says, Hold fast to your faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. And it's within that that we find the power, we find the strength behind that. Behind holding fast. It's in the promise of, of God. It's not in what I can do myself. But it's truly in the faithfulness of God. God said He will keep you from falling. God has promised to never leave us or forsake us. God has promised to give us strength in time of need. And we trust in that. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. Uh, the God that was supplying the strength for them in the past to, to get through those horrific things is the same God that's helping us today. And we believe that. It's in that that we find the strength to hold fast to our faith. You know, in each of the letters uh, to the churches in Revelation, there is a specific emphasis given to faithful living. Faithful living. And in fact, to the one, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Faithful to death. But I want to note, just turn to Revelation for a moment. I would just want to quickly note four of the churches where in Jesus' words to these churches, 
he encourages them to hold fast. Hold fast. The church at Pergamos in Revelation 2, verse 13. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and yet thou holdest fast my name. Okay, what about the church at Thyatira? Uh, once again, chapter 2, verses 25 and 26. But that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. Okay, uh, chapter 3, verse 3, the church at Sardis. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. Hold fast. One more. Uh, Philadelphia. 3 verse 11. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Isn't that an interesting word picture? Hold on to your faith. Hold on to your crown of life. In other words, he implies here that what you have can be lost. Hold it with your life. Don't let it go. Don't let anyone take it from you. Don't let anyone change your mind. Hold it fast. Dear people, we need to be holding onto our faith with that same amount of tenacity, with that same amount of perseverance. I'm not going to give it up. It's my life. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. And so here, in Hebrews 10, the encouragement is to hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Now, many of us in this room have, in the past, made commitments. A commitment to Jesus Christ. A commitment to the church. How are we doing with that? Are we holding fast to the commitments? Does that commitment mean anything to you? When, when you? when you promised before God to surrender your life to Him, when you stood before the church and were baptized and promised to, with the help of God, live above the world, to renounce the things of Satan. To renounce immorality. And to live for the Lord in newness of life. Does that mean anything to you yet today? Are you still holding fast to your commitments? And I quickly say, once again, we cannot do that in and of our own strength takes the power of God. And yet, the Bible says that He is faithful who hath promised. He is faithful who hath promised. And that is true for us today. Let's note another key to persevering in our Christian life, persevering in these days, and that is in verse 24. Let us spur one another on. 
Let us spur one another on. Now, when I think of spurs, I think of cowboys. Okay? And I'm not a cowboy, and I don't even have cowboy boots. But, but a good old cowboy often has spurs on his boots. Okay? And the point of, of those spurs is not just simply to tickle the horse. <laughs> no, it's not to make the horse laugh or anything. It's to make the horse go faster. It's to get the horse more excited, more involved, spurring it on. Okay? Now, sometimes when we think of the word provoke, uh, you know, we think of a, of a negative thing. We think of, of making someone mad or irritating someone. Well, that's not what it's talking about here, okay? It's not using the word provoke in that way, but instead it's, it's referring to, to exciting them, to calling them to action, okay? And, and that's where we find the thing of spurring. Let us spur them on. You know, in the work of the church, in the body of believers, we are called to spur each other on to godliness. We are called to encourage one another. In fact, we need each other. And, and I rely on you, brothers and sisters, to spur me on. And I'm, with the help of God, going to help spur you on. And it is in that, it is in that brotherhood, it is in that relationship that we find strength to persevere. When we're challenging one another. When we're sharpening each other. When there's a spirit of forbearance, when there's a spirit of, of, of openness to criticism, when there's a spirit of thankfulness to admonition, that makes for a strong brotherhood. That makes for unity. That makes for a powerful witness. And so here the encouragement is, let us consider one another, or let us ponder how we can spur each other on to love and to good works. I was blessed, actually, just yesterday. Uh, yesterday was a big day for us. Um, not just me, but, but for us at the bakery. Uh, we have an order going out tomorrow around midday for about 650 pies. Now that takes a bit of perseverance, okay? <laughs> that doesn't happen by itself, but it takes some perseverance. And so uh, a large part of that work was done yesterday. Well, I also knew that I needed to preach as well, and so I was kind of feeling the, uh, the weight of pies and preaching, you know, all at once. And, um, and so I was feeling a little, a little down in my spirit, and in relating to a certain brother in the evening, my spirit was lifted. My spirit was lifted. In discussing uh, an assignment and responsibilities that I had and trying to work things out, uh, this certain brother just, just poured life into my weary spirit. I tell you, that, that is so tremendous. And you've probably experienced that in your personal life before. A time of feeling down, a time of feeling discouraged, and things looking overwhelming. And it doesn't take much, but it takes a genuine spirit of love. 
And I told the brother, I said, I just see Jesus in that response. I just see Jesus in that. And we are called to be Jesus to each other in a body of believers. We all have our moments of discouragement, of weariness. And we are called, as this scripture says, to spur each other on, to lift each other's spirits. Verse 25 is another key to persevering. And that is, let us not give up meeting together. Verse 25 reads, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Let us not give up meeting together. It appears that the people, even way back in the Bible times, had similar tendencies to the people today. You know, it's, it takes perseverance. It takes discipline. It takes a want to to meet together. You have to look past the, the logistics <laughs> of it and focus on the importance of it. And yet, you well know that in our times of gathering together, in our times of mingling together, whether it's, whether it's fellowship, whether it's Sunday school lessons, whether it's prayer and Bible study, whether it's whatever it is, there is strength in that. There is blessing in that. It's a way of, of filling up your tank, as it were, giving you what you need to get into the next day or next week. We find strength in meeting together. And so I'm not sure what all the situation was here as the writer of Hebrews was writing about encouraging the people to, to meet together. Don't forsake it. You need it. Now, now, part of it perhaps was the persecution. I understand that this was written during a time of severe persecution to the Christians. And so perhaps some were scared to meet together because of persecution. That might have been part of it. There might have been other reasons as well. Maybe some just didn't have much interest. Maybe some uh, didn't like the pastor. I don't know what it all was, but there was a problem there that was being addressed, and the encouragement was, in these days, we need each other more, not less. Let me just say, if that was true then, it's certainly all the more true today. In these days... We need each other more, not less. I believe good relationship and good fellowship in the body of believers is absolutely essential to maintaining spiritual health and vibrancy. And sometimes we get weary of all the things, all the church activities, all the services. I understand it can, it can feel that way at times. But, but I, want to, I want to encourage us with this. We often look back at the early church as an example of joy, of unity, of strength, of vibrancy. When, when, we, when we talk about an, uh, the model church, we often look back at the early church in Acts chapter 2 and we speak highly of them. And we say, in a sense, 
We would like our church to sort of have that vibe, if it were. Well, let let me remind you that that church was together all the time. (laughs) They were together a lot. And if you read the last few verses of Acts chapter 2, you'll see that, that it was a daily occurrence. I think it actually says they were together in the temple daily. It speaks of a spiritual experience. It speaks of a relationship. They were together. It uses that word, they had all things together. They had all things common. And that may speak about how they shared their belongings. But to me, it also gives a very clear indicator of their unity, of their desire to be together in spirit, of their desire to be together even in presence. They were together. And it was in that togetherness that they were experienced power and blessing. Not only that, but it was through that that the testimony of the church was very, there was quite a drawing factor. More and more believers were added to the church. That was attained not through being together as little as possible, but it was being together a lot, growing together. Just want to challenge us with that. We need each other. The devil would like us to think in, in these times that maybe, maybe less is better, that we're okay you know, by ourselves, that we can grow in our spiritual lives, that we can, we can maintain a, a high level of spirituality by ourselves. Dear people, that's simply not the case. But when we distance ourselves from the brotherhood, we put ourselves in a very dangerous position. We put ourselves in a very dangerous position. One soldier is no match for the enemy. But when we band together as brothers and sisters in Christ, Satan is defeated and the church of Jesus Christ moves forward. Praise the Lord. There is blessing and there is power in the unity of believers and the gathering together. And so I just say again that meeting together for prayer and praise and encouragement is essential to spiritual endurance to persevering in our Christian life. Lastly then, let us remember, and we find these in verses 32 through 34, let us remember, I say it's a key to persevering in our spiritual life. But in verses 32 through 34, let me just read this in the NIV for clarity here. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering, Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Why? Because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. In times of difficulty, in times of hardship, in times of COVID, (laughs) in fact, in all times of life, a powerful key to persevering is remember. Remember what God has done for you in the past. Don't forget what God has done for you in the past. I think of David, little David, you know, (laughs) sometimes the little children sing, you know, only a boy named David. He wasn't that little, but in comparison to Goliath, he was just a little guy. And there as David was facing Goliath, which we could say was an impossible 
situation, humanly speaking. As David was facing Goliath, one of the things he did was recalled how God had delivered him from impossible situations in the past. He thought about the time when, when he was able, with the strength of God, to kill that lion. He thought about the time when he was able, with the strength of God, to, to kill the bear. I mean, a young fella. Are you serious? Yeah. But when he was facing Goliath, he now had assurance that he could also, with the help of God, get through this one because God had helped him in the past with things that looked impossible. And each of you could give a, t a personal testimony, I'm sure, of, of something that God has done for you in the past, even just in the past maybe six or eight months during this difficult time, something God has done for you in a situation that looked overwhelming or impossible Dear people, if God could do it then, he can do it again. We need to remember that. And yet, I confess, it's, it's so easy to, to think, yeah, I know he did it before, but can he do it again? Will he do it again? And we want to, we want to waver in that. We want to waver in that. But the writer here in Hebrews chapter 10 is reminding us to remember God, remember the power of God, what he has done for us in the past, the sustaining power he had, and that how that gives us strength to endure even in the current situation. He also reminds them of their zeal when they first came to Christ. What does it say there in verse 32? Call to remembrance the former days, just after you had come to Christ, when you saw the light. Look at the zeal that he mentions there, how you stood your ground, and you stood next to people, you encouraged people who were struggling. You said, I'm with you, brother, I'm with you, sister. You threw yourself into the Christian faith. You threw yourself into relationships, and you had zeal. You were really anxious to get to it, to get to work. And, and he says, remember those days. Remember those days. And so I ask you today, uh, do you remember how you felt when you first came to Christ? Do you remember the joy? Do you remember the freedom that came along with, with that surrender to Jesus Christ? The peace that you had. And but then do you still have that? Are you still experiencing that? Or has it been lost? You know, one of the things that Jesus had against the church at Ephesus there in Revelation, he said, I have something against you, and that is you've left your first love. You've left your first love. Why? I wonder why. Why did the church at Ephesus lose their first love? Well, Maybe they still, in a sense, had a desire for their first love, but their passion for other things probably got first place. Their passion for other things took over their first love, their passion for Jesus Christ. He said, I have that against you, that you've lost your first love. 
And so God is calling us uh, this morning to remember, to remember what he has done for us, to remember a relationship with him, to remember the joy and the peace that comes from a full surrender with him and to once again rededicate ourselves to him, to consecrate our lives to him, to seek after that first love as it were. And it does us well to remember that that same God who has fought our battles in the past, that same God who fought the battle for David, who helped the Israelites cross the Red Sea, who did all those miraculous things, who kept the Hebrew boys from burning in the furnace, who kept uh, the lions from eating Daniel. You could go on and on and on. Those aren't just fairy stories. That same God is here to fight the battles for us today and to help us endure when we're discouraged and when the times look overwhelming. Let's close with these two verses from 2 Timothy chapter 4. And this is the Apostle Paul's testimony. And I trust this can be yours as well. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, the Apostle Paul is nearing the end of his life. And he speaks these words with experience. And he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Dear people, the same thing can be said of you. The same thing can be said of me. God has a reward. God has a blessing waiting for you and waiting for me. In fact, waiting for all those who faithfully endure to the end, who persevere in spite of difficulties. The Apostle Paul could say verse 8 with confidence. Why? Because of verse 7. When he looked at his life, he wasn't living with regrets. Oh, true, he wasn't perfect. He had made mistakes. He had failed God at times. But he had made his wrongs right. He was living with a clean slate. And he said, I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And it is because of that he could then be assured of the reward that Jesus Christ offers for all faithful believers. May God help us to be one of those. Let's bow our heads for prayer.